Hi, this is Tom Jacobs from tdjacobs.com and also healingsuicide.com. I'm an evolutionary astrologer, also a channel and energy worker, um, a crystal and stone magician, a medium. I do lots of different kinds of things to focus on uh, helping people uh, heal uh, different issues and come out of uh, what feels like darkness into what is definitely lightness. Anyway, so um, at tdjacobs.com, you'll find a bunch of uh, tools to support you in a bunch of different ways. Uh, and that's where I that's where you can book sessions and see all the channeled audio I offer and all the crystals and, and astrology stuff. Um, but then also, um, and also since I, I think since I've updated SoundCloud, also um, the L Loving Lilith Home Study Healing Course, uh, the subtitle is it's loving Lilith and end to shame and I'm excited about that and I'm getting some fantastic feedback about how healing it is and extremely deep levels for people who have that so you can check that out um, a few months ago last year sometime on earth in three in uh, time space I did a video called the deeper meaning of the eighth house and it was a video I don't know 40 45 minutes or something and I, and I just went really in depth into these certain processes in the eighth house in the hope that to help people understand kind of deeper things. And, and today this is called some keys to the 11th house because it's, <laughs> it's not going to be as long as that eighth house one, and it's not going to be as deep, but I want to cover some of the same ground of saying, Hey, this is what it looks like to be in the 11th house. This is how things can appear to us. But then also this is what's really going on under the surface. And here's how to work some of those things. So I expect it will be just as useful to some people as the eighth house uh, video is to some people but anyway um some keys to the 11th house and what i find doing counseling astrology work and doing um evolutionary astrology where i'm you know basically digging through bill's akashic records and her emotional body their chakra system and trying to help them understand these other life situations that hurt or are imbalanced or parts of self from across time that hold trauma that affect the people now Sorry, by the way, everywhere I go, there's a construction zone, so you'll just have to listen to hammering in the background. Um, so, um, actually, I'm going to put an earplug so I don't have to hear it. How's that? So I can concentrate. Anyway, so um, doing counseling astrology work, it looks, there's always a thing where somebody says, hey, this is what's happening in my life. And so when I look at that thing, I say, oh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. You are dealing with the manifestation of a thing, a belief, a process. Here's how to understand from a bird's eye view what's really going on. So that's kind of what motivates me to do this. And I just, um, I was reading uh, the Washington Post online because I do believe that democracy dies in darkness. Anyway, so I was, re I was just kind of reading a story earlier, went back to my browser, was kind of looking at my to-do list, going to do some stuff. And then I read this headline of an opinion piece. And this was like the 4,000th thing in um, the last few months that said, oh, do the 11th house teaching thing. And and the headline is, or the name of the article, uh, it's by somebody named Ben Howe, H-O-W-E. I haven't read it yet, but I kind of know what it says uh, because I've been thinking about this for a long time regarding this specific issue. Evangelists have abandoned their mission in favor of Trump. And I read that and I said, oh, I got to get the microphone out and... Um, Okay, great. I'll, I'll close the window, but just because you asked. Okay. Okay, so that's a little better, I guess. Because when I put in the earplugs while I was talking, I felt like a weird alien who was, like, drowning in pudding. 
like it didn't feel right. Okay, so because I was still talking, but anyway, so the 11th house, what it when I find people with Pluto in the 11th house or South on in the 11th or even Chiron in the 11th, it can look like groups of people are the problem and in astrology we think of the 11th house as groups of people hopes wishes friends dreams um the way i like to think of it is what do you want the future to look like this is where i start with the 11th house what do you want your life to look like in two months well what about one year is what you're doing right now leading you into a future you want to live in and what future do you want to live in? That's the kind of thing here. Then once you understand what you want your life to look like, well, then you can reach out for help. You can network, ask questions, you know, whatever. The other side of this is, that's one side of the coin. The other side of the coin is what world do I want to live in? So it's about your personal goals as well as your interest in what you want your community your neighborhood your society the groups you're part of even your family the future of a group you're part of or would like to be part of so what future do i want to live in well that has to do with you and your life as well as the world you live in and for some people it's all of this like 11th house issues cover all this ground and for other people it might lean toward one or the other you know a little more or a lot more so I can't look at your chart and say, oh, this is about your personal goals versus your your interest in what society looks like, right? Now, all of this comes down to your goals. This is the kind of insider key, one of the keys I want to offer you. Your goals. Because as you exist in groups, all these things are going to happen that will shape you. So like I say, if I'm talking to a client who has Pluto in the 11th, and, that, and I say to that person, look, your soul intends that you figure out what your goals are and then find the right groups of people to work with to create that future together. And that's like where I'm going with this. Because whatever goal you have, you can't create the future yourself. Okay. So if I say that to the person, that person may be triggered and I'll say like, like somehow energetically, the person's like nervous or doesn't want to really accept that or is skeptical. What it would be happening is part of that person will be triggered and it would be negative experiences in groups have shaped me. So it looks like being part of groups can be the problem because here is the evidence of when this group kicked me out, when the person in charge of that social thing I was part of turned on me, when I had a bunch of friends, but suddenly they were all gossiping about me and I felt ostracized, when you know, whatever it is, right? This thing happened in groups or in a group. And so it looks like groups are the problem, the existence or being part of them. But no, 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 no. It is that you are learning something about how to choose better groups for you or different groups. So we always go back in my world. <laughs> I always invite you to go back to st the starting line, which is, okay, well, what are my goals for the future? What do I want my life to look like in two months, three years, 10 years? What do I want my society, my, my community to look like? That's where we start. So if you're somebody hearing this and you have like horror or disaster stories about being part of a group, I want you to understand that that's a manifestation of a human experience, but it is not like destiny or fate or, you, you know, 
it doesn't mean you need to isolate because that's part of the wounding of the 11th house. I'm not part of the world. I don't feel connected to community. That's part of the pain that can come up with the 11th house. And as I said, I focus a lot on people's multi-life journeys. So I focus a lot on digging through the records of emotional problems or wounding and pain and anger and all the negative things to help them resolve it so that they can be present today. And anybody who is grounded, clear, and healthy does have goals for the future. So anyway, we all have the right to that. We all have, you know, but do we have access to have faith and trust that we can have a future? There may be wounding and pain for having your goals cut off or squashed or your dreams deflated by something that disempowers you in the past. If you have like a karmic indicator there, Pluto, South and South and Ruler, or um, uh, planet square the nodes in the 11th or something like that, or planet square Pluto from the 11th or something like that. So, so that's the basic idea. Start with your goals and then recognize what I mentioned a minute ago. You can't create the future by yourself. So a healthy way to be in the 11th house is here is where I'm headed. Like, this is what I'm going to do, like, because this matters to me, or this is what I want to see more of in the world, or this is what I want to bring to my society, or what, again, what I want my world to look like. Then, essentially, it's incumbent upon you to interview, like, to, 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 to interview opportunities to work with others. Because it's hard to feel isolated or, an out, or as an outsider... It can be difficult to feel like we have to go it alone. It's hard and painful sometimes when others don't understand us and can't validate our vision of the future or our value system. We may leap at the chance for some group that accepts us. We may say, oh my God, finally, I belong somewhere. Uh, and there's no criticism for people who experience this, but it's part of a learning process. So once you're accepted into this group, well then, you know, you're going to be part of this group and then you have to evaluate, is this the right group? Why am I here? How did I get here? Is it good for me to stay in this group? Is this group, this group mind that we create together, is it where I want to go? Is it headed in a direction I want to go? So... It's any, every person's responsibility to kind of evaluate this opportunity. Like you can think of it in terms of um, you're sitting in a job interview. I can't believe I'm going to say this one. Uh, when you're sitting in a job interview and somebody says to you, like you might go into the 10th house to have a job interview. But that person, the interviewer, might be building a team and might say, where do you see yourself in five years? <laughs> and you're put on the spot to think about, to imagine a future, right? You're in the 10th house. You're like, I need a job right now, damn it. But that person might, you know, that kind of question, where do you see yourself in five years? You know, it's your job. You know, you might make something up. I've certainly made shit up in interviews like that. <laughs> in my younger years, when I was working for other people, before I had a vision of what I want my future, what I wanted my future to look like. And before I kind of got led by the nose in this mysterious choose-your-own-adventure kind of way by guides and Jehudi, the Ascendant Master I work with, um, before I kind of got my breadcrumb trail instructions of, you know, doing this different kind of life and career, I, I, I certainly did lie, uh, at least once. I remember one time them asking me that. Um, 
I had good. I just have to tell you this one thing. I had good training for this in a certain way as a smart aleck because <laughs> I majored in philosophy in college. Some of you who like who are aware of my work, and I sometimes mention that in different contexts. Well, one of the things that that stands out to me about that experience was at my graduation from college, my graduation, uh, like a luncheon thing, where my mom invited people over and my dad and his wife at the time were there. And um, she had had very conventional careers and kind of my dad had as well, except for being a summertime grave digger in college. <laughs> um and as a kid washing fire trucks with his friends and <laughs> taking care of the Dalmatian at the firehouse. No joke. Anyway, otherwise he had kind of like traditional roles. But anyway, so, but, but this, 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 uh, his, his third wife, this stepmother of mine, I guess some people would say, um, she had been a teacher and then she was a social she was a teacher for four or five years or something. And then she was a social worker for, for, you know, what, I don't know, 35 years or so, like a long time. And she retired from that. So so she was nervous about my, my future. And at that celebration, she asked me, what are you going to do with a philosophy degree? And she was nervous. She wasn't trying to be mean. She was nervous. She didn't know. She wanted to know the answer. And I said to her in a particularly confident moment, I said, well, I'm going to grow up into being an adult who can think clearly and write clearly. <laughs> like that was what I said. So anyway, when I was in this job interview one time, I was scared about money and I needed this job. So I lied. I didn't have some kind of smart, I like confident response. Anyway, so, okay, that's a little tangent. Um, so what do you want your future to look like? Well, in that moment, you might feel pressed, right? You might not have spent years thinking about that. Some people do, right? But anyway, it's incumbent upon all of us to evaluate opportunities. Because if, if this person says, look, I can give you this job today. But I want you to know within two years, our structure's changing and this is where we're headed. In five years, it's going to look like this. Well, you have the option of saying, that doesn't sound right for me. And so we have the option, right? Or let's talk about, um, I used this example the other day, I think in a, in a subscriber class recording. Um, you want to join a book club just because you want to talk about books with people or whatever. And um, somebody overhears you saying that and comes up and says, Oh, you can join our book club Tuesday night, seven o'clock at my house. And you're like, that's great. Thanks for the invitation. And then you show up and the books are like nonfiction about economic theory. You were maybe thinking of novels or mystery thrillers or something like that. Detective novels. So it's like those groups exist, but you accepted the first opportunity. So what I'm getting at is it's hard to feel alone it's hard to feel like an outsider, yet if we take the first group that comes to us, we, we, you know, we're challenged over time to, to, to recognize the truth that it could have been the wrong choice or we may grow out of it. Okay, that's, that's like category number one. Category number two is the group in which you find yourself. Now, I worked with one client years ago who had Southland in the 11th and it was about family. They were just a bunch of kids plus two parents. So it was like, you know what I mean? It was like a, a cadre of people, but it was the family that seemed to be the center of the story for her. And so for some people, it can be like that. For other people, it would be the town, the nation, the state, the the even religious organization, or if the family's part of a civic group, or, you know, it can be anything but like this broader group of people in which you find yourself, dot, 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 you may not feel that it's the right one for you. Then what do you do? 
You may feel surrounded by the wrong people. You may, you know, if I think about um, how eager I was to leave small town Ohio to go anywhere that was urban. <laughs> um, I mean, it wasn't like I grew up in a town of like 10 or 20 people. It was probably like around 30,000 people. Two towns joined at the hip. I think it was 30, 33,000 people total. I, I think, I actually just looked up the other day how many people live in each town because I was curious. And it was less than that. It was like a total of like, it, the, at least on Wikipedia, <laughs> uh, the two towns each, I guess, listed like twenty seven or 28,000 together. But I just remember that number from when I was a kid. I don't know if there were more people then or if it was a wrong number then. But um, I just felt like there wasn't like a lot of exciting things because I had dreams of being in a city. Anyway, when I was 24, a year and a half after graduating college, I moved to Boston and my dreams were fulfilled and everything became golden and amazing and like unicorns sang and played harps in my heart it was really like that <laughs> it was like a choir of unicorns that also play harps in my heart when i was in boston <laughs> okay culture music art dance art 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 you know you know dance dance every, everything was 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 nuts it was it was awesome um what, what was i talking about Oh, yeah. The place in which you find yourself. So I was eager to leave a small town because I wanted more opportunity. My vision of my future was different than people in my family, than people in my community, people I had grown up with. My vision of my future was different. Not that none of them would happen to share it or could happen to share it, but I just had this unique thing that would take me far away. So sometimes when you're in that kind of position, you don't have the resources to go somewhere. And sometimes you don't have the skills and that's kind of, kind of what I want to emphasize here in this kind of paragraph two or section two of this teaching for you. The first one being like, I joined the wrong group or I have to evaluate the right group to join and figure that, you know, where do I belong, right? This thing where you're clear you don't belong or you feel like you don't belong, or it might hurt to imagine that this is actually where you belong. Like you might be surrounded by a bunch of small-minded racists. I don't want to be unfair to people, but that happens sometimes. You might be surrounded by... Uh, a kind of community that doesn't, you know, like in, even in our environment today, that's bent on, um, they're not racist, but maybe they are really concerned about immigration and vilifying the other, you know, or um, really focused on this sub, this part of the community. Like, like even where I grew up, after I moved away, a, um, again, this is kind of like small town Ohio, uh, a, uh, I want to, what do you call it? Like a chicken factory um either set up shop 15 or 20 miles away or 10 miles away or ramped up operations and the people that took those jobs were central were on the main mostly central american immigrants who may have and this is kind of like a disconnect for me because i wasn't there but i perceive that they you know maybe some of they had family or contacts in the area and they heard there was work, so some people moved there. And then maybe they brought, you know, they encouraged other people they knew from home to move there. So anyway, so suddenly there's this, like, pocket of, um, I guess maybe this was happening when I was, like, a senior and junior in high school. So I hadn't quite moved yet. I'm just remembering certain combos. But, but anyway, they got brought in. Well, people were naturally, this was new, so people were naturally skeptical and unsure. Is it safe? Are these people dangerous? Are they... 
you know, whatever. All these like fears about the other come up, right? So even when it's not malicious, even when it's not trying to be damaging or dangerous, there is a tribal thing that comes up in us. And I was even talking with a client last night who said, I have cultural differences with my family. And I said, like, that's a really interesting way to, to mention, to, to talk about it. And um, she is connected with them. And she was kind of asking me, how can I make, how can I like work on this in real time in 3D to like feel more connected with them and be connected when they really don't understand me and seem not to be interested. Um, anyway, so we talked about that and that kind of in, inspired some of this teaching too. Um, but anyway, so fears of the other come in. So you might be surrounded by something like that, right? Well, I don't feel like I fit here because I don't believe that. And it could be anything. It could be political, it could be racial, religious, it could be anything, right? You know? So you might not have the resources to move. So how can I play in the future if I don't have the money to leave to live my future? So that's something that comes up. Feeling stuck because I don't have the resources. But resources are also skills and mentoring and training. And what I was going to say is I remember being in Ohio for that year and a half after I graduated college and wanting to leave and not knowing how to make it happen. And then suddenly a friend of mine calls me from, from Boston where he was in grad school and was just telling me anecdotally, yeah, my roommate's getting kicked out. My landlady hates him. They had a fight. And now I got to find a roommate. And I was like, dude, you just found one. That's me. And five weeks later, I was living in Boston because <laughs> uh, I was I didn't know how to do it. I didn't know how to move into the future. So this is another issue that comes up in the 11th house. So as far as keys to the 11th house regarding this uh, part of the teaching, lay things out step by step, one by one. Think first again, what goal do I have? What what future do I want to live in? What do I want my life to look like? Right. There's that. That's You can write that down. Well, then you can say, do I know how to do those things? Or what would I need in order to make that happen? Do I know that or not? Okay, check. I know that one. I just kind of like I'm waiting for have a couple grand to make that happen. Okay, great. I just need a little money to make that happen. Fine, I can save that money. But number two on the list, I have no idea how to do that. Like for me, how do I find a how do I find a living situation in a big city 700 miles away? Like, I grew up in a small town. I don't know anything. So, um, and my friend, actually, with whom I moved in, um, he grew up in not a tiny town, you know, a small city in West Virginia, um, moderately sized town, I don't know, but not as small as where I was from. And, but he had kind of the similar kind of like, I don't know how to make stuff happen, but he figured it out. Now that I think about it, 25 years later, or 27 years later, it, it, it's interesting because um, he had gone wide-eyed innocent to New York his first year after we graduated to grad school to study with a, a, a particular instrumental teacher. He was an, an instrumentalist. And this person was in demand. And so his goal of the future, right, had certain things to do with professional development and he got accepted on scholarship to go to this, you know, <laughs> this uh, prestigious uh, conservatory. And when he got there, he didn't mesh with the teacher 
He just didn't, it didn't work. And the groove of, of Manhattan, where the school was, it just didn't work for him. He felt like he was in a hole in the ground, all these tall buildings blocking out the sun. You're just walking around in shadow and how nobody looked at each other. And, you know, you know, a lot of people from moderately or small towns might have that experience in a giant city, especially the way like New York is structured. Um, but anyway, he ended up coming back. He withdrew and came back. And that's when we lived together in Ohio. Then he moved to Boston, whatever. Anyway, so he had this experience of like, oh, well, you just make stuff, you figure out if you don't know something and then you make it happen. So he was a little more empowered in that 11th house way than I was at that time. And so when he called, I was like, oh my God, yeah, I'll seize this opportunity, right? Kind of like Rue, I got to Boston, so to speak, kind of on a way on his coattails because he had figured stuff out. I remember even we, a friend of mine and I moved him like moved his stuff with him and then took a bus back to Ohio or to our train. And um, I remember getting into Brookline where we moved him into. And it was like, um, I was like, oh my God, how could anyone make this happen? This is amazing. This is like a city. Anyway, so my little like uh, turnip truck wide open, you know, just fell off the, the, the rutabaga cart. <laughs> anyway, so I want to get back to this teaching. This is not a dear diary thing. Um so if you don't know how to make something happen, well, ask questions, do research, learn. A lot of us do have access now to, a lot of us in Western cultures do have more access to um, all the things on the internet. So we can ask questions and research. We can connect with people, many of us in, uh, you know, groups and chat rooms and whatever. Like we can we can find connections. Facebook, I guess, is, is the replacement for the chat room. But anyway, um, what you don't know that's okay. But if you're willing to hold on to the goal you have, the vision of your life or the future you want to live in, well, figure it out. Make it happen. Okay. So um, these are just a couple of the categories that happen. You know, I don't know how to get out of where I am. I don't feel like I belong here versus, you know, I think I joined the wrong group. Now, taking that, taking those into like extending them a little bit you can think about people who have we could call it a serial problem <laughs> with joining the wrong groups if that's you or someone you know i want to put this in perspective for you it's indicative of the need to figure out what your goals are and find the right people but it can also be indicative of part of that process being healing memories for many lifetimes of being part of the wrong groups so what happens in the 11th house is we become part of a group and our voice can at times be lost within the group. Like my individual contribution can fade away, right? Also, the group can, a bunch of well-meaning people come together for a certain interest or cause or goal. Well, then they can lose their minds together and become essentially a raving mob. This is some of the worst stuff that happens with 11th house living in a different lifetimes and different cultures. This is one of the, what I want to say is this is one of the most important categories of healing opportunity, which is a nice way of saying <laughs> there's a, there's been a lot of people who have these issues. There's a giant bolus of garbage that hurts a lot and is terrible and makes them regret everything and makes them not live their lives fully and freely with confidence because they were part of a group that became a mob in some other life. So you can think of lots of different kinds of examples. 
where people, because of fear, lost their minds together. Uh, but then you can also think of the people on the fringe of that group who didn't lose their minds together, but didn't have a choice and got swept away by the losing of the minds. Like when you think about um, uh, 1930s Germany, and we have all these his, all this historical analysis of why these people, so to speak, lost their mind together, right? And you know why this this um, these societies kind of banded together. You know we we understand the currency devaluation, we understand the inflation, the whatever, the food issue, the waiting in line, the fam. We understand all these things that caused it, right? But to understand the process of how a group can lose its mind together. A lot of it is because of fear. We must band together to keep this other group out or this other party out of office or this particular politician from getting reelected or, you know, we have to band together against this threat. And there's this social mobilization of a tribal fashion, right? You can think of the fourth house as having this tribal idea of, our our family, our ancestry, our heritage, our clan group, you know, our kinship group, our, our tribe, right? Like, um, whatever, like I'm Caucasoid, I'm Caucasian, I was born to a Jewish family, I'm male, um, people call me a light worker, I'm an astrologer, um, I'm a musician, I'm a drum and bugle corps fan, like all these different groups that I kind of find myself part of. You know, some of those are kind of tribal fourth house things, and some of them I've chosen and are kind of tribal 11th house things. So like my family of origin, my ancestry, my religious heritage, that that's fourth house. But what I choose and the direction I choose to head in, that's 11th house. Um, okay, so when a group loses its mind and you are on the periphery and are swept up in it, that's what I wanted to mention about um, what became a Nazi Germany. What I want to mention is there were people who didn't like it, but didn't, they didn't have a choice. They couldn't have left. They didn't have anywhere else. You know, so there are people who are kind of in the fringe who are sucked into this vortex who are not pleased with this. Okay. Now, in every uh, attempted genocide, in every ethnic cleansing, in every, you know, what's, you know, uh, what's going on with the Rohingya, with the Uyghurs, like all, all, you know, in any of these things, historical or present, there are people who get swept up in the fringes and it's not in their heart, but somehow they're doing it or somehow they don't have a choice. So this is part of the 11th house. Oh, by the way, just also not to get too like graphic and weird and, and un, you know, unhappy and depressing, but we do have narratives of, of people who, of even Jews who in camps worked essentially against their will in order to survive and then become the enemies of, you know, their community. So that's the one kind of thing that can happen. You don't want, oh my God, what the, the thing you wanted most right now at this juncture in history is to like clean up all the dead bodies of your people because if you don't, you're going to die. 
that's what you wanted to be part of this thing. So this is another part of the 11th house where I may not have had a choice. I know that's a very extreme example. A less extreme example, now we come back to 2019. I just have to observe it. Took me 31 minutes to get here because <laughs> I wanted to explain all that. I read this headline on the Washington Post opinion section by Ben Howe. Evangelists have abandoned their mission in favor of Trump. Okay, now we have to talk about this bit. Uh, <laughs> and if you um, are somebody who doesn't, who thinks astrologers should be journalists and would be inclined to comment on a video or a blog post or a, um, an audio piece of mine where you say, I was with you until you started talking about politics. If that's you, you're welcome to turn this off now because I do have opinions. I am part of this world and I'm not a journalist. Um, I've had people accuse me with vitriol of being a liberal. Well, yeah, that's kind of accurate. I'm a humanist. I care about what happens to people. So yeah, that does kind of push me into, in many cases, one side of a bunch of different issues. Okay, so I'll just say that as my little disclaimer half, you know, half hour into this, this podcast, because if you comment, I was really into what you were saying until you started talking about politics. I'll just delete the comment and ban you from whatever site you're commenting on. Okay, good. So evangelicals have a value system. They have goals for the future. And together they have worked together as a group, as, as, as lots of different religious or political groups do, right? But they have especially worked really hard at band binding together for their shared vision of the future. So I just want to point out there is a there you know there's different kinds of evangelicals, but there is kind of a core thing that unites them, and this is an eleventh house process that they experience together. So some of their goals include the ending of abortion, right? Um, that's like one of the things. So in order to, or abortion being legal here in the U.S. So Roe v. Wade, right? 1973 Supreme Court decision that um, essentially stopped states from outlawing abortion, thereby opening the door. And, okay, so in order to make that happen, they have to have more conservative judges. In order to have that happen, they have to have conservative, and, and, and in the U.S., conservative has, for a very long, well, for a time, meant Republican political party. So to have a Republican president is the point. So one of their goals is to honor what they believe God says is true, or what their God holds them to, which is that life is sacred. So abortion must be ended. So Roe v. Wade has to get overturned. So states can make these decisions on their own. And we can, we can, you know, take care of our world in the way that we know our God wants us to. Okay. In order to do that, we have to have a Republican president. 
so this is how evangelicals can support um, Donald Trump. But it hurts them. Like, in some of their hearts, there is pain. I'd say in more than some, right? Some of them emerge as vocal supporters of Trump. And I'm trying to think of the people. I'm trying to think of the guy's name. Oh, what's that? It's Jerry Falwell Jr. Um, and I, there may be one other one who's from that kind of televangelist. Well, maybe maybe has a family member who was. Well, anyway, but but anyway, that that dude. Um, you know, no matter what Trump does, he will say, you know, Trump is doing. I don't know if he's. I, I can't quote, but like paraphrasing, Trump is doing the right thing. Essentially, if you look at the sum of all his reactions to what Trump does or what Trump's administration does, or Trump himself. Yes, this is right. We're on the right track. We support him. But that guy has this sense of leadership responsibility for his community. And so the most important thing, well, the list of most important things <laughs> includes the, uh, the overturning of Roe v. Wade, so therefore this whole process of having a Republican president. Well, Trump was the option. In this field of, what was it, 16 or 17, I guess 17, including Trump, in the primary process for the Republican uh, candidacy, in, um, you know, leading up to the 2016 presidential election here in the U.S., Trump was the option. He somehow, I'm going to not describe all this here, I've described it elsewhere in other MP3s here. If you look up Tom Jacobs' Trump on SoundCloud, You'll find a number of you'll find several MP3s where I explain emotion, his emotional uh, stuff, uh, what his soul's journey is about, psychological stuff like um, karmic belief stuff. Anyway, there's a lot of different stuff. <laughs> stuff. So go go look up the stuff, um, including a lot about Chiron. By the way, if you really want to understand the truth about Chiron, look up what I've what I've you know, posted here about uh, about Trump and Chiron. One of them's called um, Donnie, a Chiron story. And it the graphic is a picture of him at six years old. <laughs> because that's who's running our country. An insecure six-year-old who's afraid of being revealed to be a child, to not have adult skills or emotional maturity. Anyway, so that's why all the fighting. Anyway, so go listen to that stuff. But the point is, um, they will support him, but it hurts to do so because these are not amoral people. You know, there are different groups of people that may support Trump, and some of them might just, you know, some of them might not have very clear moral centers. Many of them, I'm sure, do. But among the evangelicals, they certainly do. This is their conviction is part of their deal. Their faith, you know, generates conviction. So why would they support him? Essentially, uh, part of the answer is about overturning Roe v. Wade. There are other things in there, too. There's stuff about Israel, too. But I don't want to get into that today. Um, because I'm starting to get hungry. <laughs> so. I don't want to talk about Israel on an empty stomach. Or this political... I don't. It's not about Israel. It's about the political thing in the U.S. about Israel. I don't want to talk about that on an empty stomach. So, um, 
when you feel caught up in a social movement, it might go against your values in the short term, but promise or seem to promise to lead you into the future you want. So what is the cost to evangelicals in their hearts of this individual who's occupying the White House just running roughshod over everything, separating uh, children from parents, the whole thing about the, the cages. You know, what is the, you know, what is the cost of that? And that was like the, again, the 40 billionth thing I've been thinking about for months saying, okay, great. I read that headline. I'm like, great. I'm going to do this teaching on the 11th house. So think about if you have Pluto on the 11th or something square Pluto on the 11th or South node or something square, the square, the nodes in the 11th or South node ruler in the 11th or something square or opposite or opposition South node ruler. in the. If you have something involved in your karmic story in the 11th house, it's likely you have at some point in many lifetimes and perhaps including this one been burned by being part of groups, been burned by what happens once people ally together, even with wonderful intentions, like the evangelicals working toward a political um, goal because of their faith. They have, um, they have conviction, and that leads them into the position of supporting Trump that may then cause heartache because they're very aware of the effects of it. So anyway, if you have stuff in the 11th house that hurts, let me say it that way in a broad way. Any of these issues I've talked about in this MP3 could be at the source of it. As you've listened to this, if you have something there, or if this just kind of pulls at your heartstrings or something, or or seems to like pluck a painful uh, note, um, there is resolution. Healing can occur. But again, you have to be clear about what goals you have, and those goals need to be focused in your value or based in your values. And then am I working with the right people to create that future? So this is a this thing with the evangelicals and then the reality of how Trump lives his personal life, how he operates his business. Um, you know, who thinks he's above the law, who doesn't have respect for anything or anybody except his own like uh, greed um, and megalomaniacal tendencies, <laughs> you know, narcissism, whatever, like like to have them aligned with him, that's one of the things in certain lifetimes that may have gone wrong for you or someone you know. Look, I have this goal that's super important to me, you know, for example, because of my faith. How is this going to happen? How am I going to get there? Oh, we have to elect this philanderer? Okay. Okay. Well, okay. I mean, I guess um, I guess God sent him to us, is what some of them tell each other. Seemingly, these leaders at least are telling their communities that. Okay, so keys to the eleventh house: understanding a deeper meaning of the eleventh house. All of this can be healed, right? Now, the last thing I want to say about this regarding this: all things can be healed. We live in a time, especially if we are accessing the internets and the interwebs and the media, social media, but also media, information sources, listening to podcasts, access to news. We have so much, you know, it could be constant if you don't unplug and take care of yourself. It could be constant access to the stream of information about what's happening in the world 
and what's wrong in the world. So the last thing I want to say about one of the keys to the 11th house is all things can be healed and things can be fixed and things in the world can be improved. But individuals have to um, learn how to process and heal and resolve and release the debris from past lives and earlier life regarding any of the things that I've talked about here that may, be, that may seem relevant. So everything, it might seem, in other words, it might seem that the world is going to shit. That's even the day after the, tw- the presidential election on November 9, 2016, I put up an MP3 called The World Is Not Going to Shit. Just because Trump was elected doesn't mean the world is going to shit. And I, and I talk about learning opportunities that we are now experiencing. I talked about it then. Not predicted, but I said this is what it's going to look like. Um, people are going to resist and come forward and, and people are going to realize that their values matter to them or something. I don't remember. I haven't listened to that in a long time, but that's the kind of thing where I saw then, okay, it's not the end of the world, but now we're having this opportunity to have certain things revealed through this situation for the betterment of ourselves as a group, as individuals. We've certainly seen that with all of the, um, the stuff. So deal with your own stuff and then consider what world you want to live in and then allow yourself to find the right communities. You can do this. We all can do this. Okay, so thanks for your time and energy. Thanks for your attention. Um, yeah, I'm going to go put food in my food hole and then chew it up and then proceed with my life. Okay, so this is part two addendum uh, coda. Uh, when I was actually making my food, I thought of one other thing I wanted to, <laughs> wanted to include in this teaching. I didn't realize how hungry I was, so I wasn't thinking clearly. Um, one of the other things that happens when the eleven when life in the eleventh house goes wrong is that our goals are blocked. So I talked about all these these other things, not knowing what the goals or connecting with the wrong people, getting swept away in a crowd or the mob mind or something. But one of the other things that, that really uh, can impact people is you have this plan, but it is stopped. And that could be by society or, you know, there could be a revolution. Uh, that's another thing. Revolutions that fail or succeed and life changes. Um, but there could be like a revolution that suddenly like, um, you know, suddenly what you did is suddenly, you know, viewed as a negative thing. Like um, with the Bolshevik Revolution, uh, you know, in the 19-teens in Russia, what became the Soviet Union, um, and then became Russia again. But in that place, you know, all the things that were no longer socially acceptable when communism took over, you know, it can be things like that. It can also be a person stopping you. That can be like a figurehead in a family or a group, or it could be like somebody in your personal life who says, no, I will never let you do that. So I just want to add that dimensionality in there for you um, briefly so you understand that one of the other levels of it is I had a plan, like in some other lifetime, the wounding. I had a plan and and, and I'm blocked from doing it. So that can lead to pain and disempowerment about creating the future as well. And if you think about that, you know, a dream that seems to fall on its face or failed ambition, those kinds of things can fit within there. But like I said, we can re, I said all things can be healed, blah, blah, blah. 
But what I also want to say is that we can also reinflate dreams, but if we understand this learning process, well, maybe, maybe I had the wrong foundation, so I was being schooled by the universe, so to speak, to go back to the drawing board to find the right people to work with. You know, there are all kinds of different variables um, that contribute to this learning. So if something didn't work, don't assume it could never work. All right, that's that. So anyway, thanks for your time and energy. Uh, this is Tom Jacobs. I'm at tdjacobs.com and also healingsuicide.com, um, which is meant to be informative about the kinds of how to heal and work with the kinds of emotional things that can lead us to despair and feel like there's no hope. And also there's a teaching on that site about how your soul, like what your soul is and how your soul sees your human life and how your experiences as a human, including your emotional stuff and including suicide when people do that, how that affects the soul and how the soul sees it. So that's a that's an offering that I make to help you, intended to help you learn how to deal better with intense emotions that can lead to despair. All right, take care.